welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good to see you all here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're joining us online, I want to say a very special welcome to you. Uh, Like Fred said, we are in Revelation chapter 21 this morning, and as soon as I say Revelation, people go, wow, we're going to go there. And yes, we are. We're going to do that exactly. Before we get started, I want to start like we started last week. So everybody repeat after me, say heaven. And we're going to stop there this week. I'm not going to make you swear like Fritz did last week. We're not going to use it. So we're stopping there this week because that is where we are going to land uh, today. But I want to start this morning by just giving you a big overview of the story of the Bible, a big overview of what that is. And I'm going to do it in about 90 to 120 seconds, give or take how fast, because I, I can talk fast. Many of you know that I can do this. Uh, but I want to give you kind of a big picture overview of the Bible And it starts in Genesis, where we see God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, which is the place that we know, and the heavens being the place that's beyond that, everything beyond what we know as earth. And the Bible says that God made it. God made it. And part of the day, as part of the days of creation, on the sixth day of creation, God created man, right? On the sixth day, he created man. That included man, and that included woman, And they lived in this amazing place on earth that God made for them called the Garden of Eden. And to be clear, God made it all perfect when he made it. To be very clear, he made it perfect when he made it. And there, but there was a problem that came, and it was something called sin that entered the world through Adam. Pride got a foothold in Adam and Eve, and they chose to lead themselves and not to listen to God anymore. And the description in the book of Genesis continues saying that basically God confronted them for their sin, and they blamed everybody and each other. They blamed the serpent. They blamed everybody except for taking personal responsibility responsibility for what, for what happened. And so in the end, God actually kicked them out of this perfect place that he made for them. And because they broke their relationship with God, there was also now a barrier between them and God. And this barrier was, was actually the, was also a consequence for them going forward, and that was death. Death was what was required for, for sin. Something must die because of sin. And just to be clear again, this wasn't something new because actually God warned them in Genesis 1 where he actually warned them and said, there's this tree in the garden that, you, that you're not to touch. You can touch everything else but not this one tree. But they thought that they knew better than God. And so, yes, they made a choice to rebel against God, but God wasn't done with them. No, he wasn't done with them. In fact, he had a plan that was about bringing them back into a right relationship with him. And this plan was not just for Adam and Eve, but it was for all of humanity on earth going forward. And this plan included sending Jesus to die because death was the only thing that could pay for sin. And God's love for them was so much that he didn't want them to be separated from him. So by dying, he made the payment for their sin. But his death wasn't enough. The truth is that his death was not enough. No, he couldn't have just stayed dead because if he had just stayed dead, he would be just another dead man in the ground. But no, that's not what he did. He actually was the one who defeated death. He overcame death. He crushed death. And by doing this, he proved 
that the price of sin could actually be paid off. And anybody who would trust him only and can have their debt paid for as well, simply by putting their faith in him. And Jesus beat death. He returned to heaven to sit next to God, the Father, and be our defender, to be our champion, so that those who put their faith in him now have Jesus appealing to the Father, saying, he's mine, she's mine, they are mine. They will never die or experience death. Why? Because for Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's to be present with the Lord. What an amazing promise that is for us to have from the very beginning. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this is what we call the gospel. And this is the gospel that we talk about all the time. And it is a heart. It is the story of the Bible. And it begins with a perfect creation that one day, it all points to God being and creating, and actually recreating, remaking that creation to be perfect again. But this time, it will last forever. It's in a very real place that we call heaven. One day, God will restore creation to its original form that he made it, and when he makes it new again. And so today, what I want to do is I want to give you a glimpse into the future. I'm not a fortune teller or a soothsayer, nothing like that, but I want to give you a glimpse. I want to show you what Scripture shows us. And we started this teaching series called Heaven and Hell, and today we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about the new heaven and the new earth. And if you're a follower of Christ, hopefully this, kind of, this is a small glimpse into what it will be. And if you're, if you're here today and maybe you're investigating um, the, the, this thing called Christianity or somebody invited you and you're sitting here going, yeah, what you got for me, guy? I, I actually just want, hopefully, that this will give you a glimpse into what that is. I hope that you get a picture of the future that you can have faith in Christ as well moving forward. So for each person here today, or if you're watching with us online, we all enter this conversation with our own preconceived ideas, our notions, the things that we feel. And what happens so often is that we may come into this, this question of heaven with expectations that I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a sledgehammer about it and say, this is what you need to see, this is what you, this is what you need to believe uh, about all this sort of thing, and a bunch of information that we are maybe just absorbing. But I want to tell you that although there is a bunch of info that I could give you, that's not what I'm going to do today. That's not what I'm aiming at today. What I want you to hear today is this, is that God is preparing a place for you. I want you to hear that God is preparing a place for you. And if you are in Christ and said yes to him as your forgiver and leader, then this very real place called heaven, God will make for you as something to look forward to. And if you're somebody who has never surrendered your life to Christ, I'm giving you just a glimpse into what could be yours by putting your faith in him today. So I want to do that. Before we do, I actually want to do the same thing Fritz just did, and I just want to pray as we step into this. I want to pray that God would open our eyes to see what he wants in us today. So let's pray real quick. Father, open our eyes to see what you have for us in these words today. Lord, may our hearts be receptive to your spirit's guiding in Jesus' name. Amen. As Fritz said, we are in Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to read through the first seven verses, and they'll be on the screen behind me um, as well. But if you'll follow along with me, I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, and it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out out of heaven from from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he said, in verse 5, and it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give you the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This morning, I want to give you four truths in Scripture that actually give, that this gives us about the new heaven and the new earth today. And it's not just here, it's actually what we're going to do is very similar to what happened last week where we went through and kind of see the whole counsel of Scripture, a systematic theology that would point us back to what Scripture says. So we are going to jump around a little bit uh, this morning as, as we do that. But the first thing I want you to notice is this, is that heaven is freedom from sin. It is freedom from sin. When sin entered the world, people lost closeness with God and with each other. Work became painful. Death became everybody's future. And Genesis chapter 3, if you were to read it, in fact, I would encourage you in the coming week, it outlines what it looked like. And if you read it, you'll see that there was lost, what was lost in that moment, but it will one day be made new again. And one of the ways that we know that it will be made new again is because in the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus says that he who has an ear, let him hear. To he who conquers, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which which is in the middle of paradise of God. Just like in the beginning, to grant of eating that tree in the middle of what I've created. Not only that, but all things that are negative will be banished. We just read in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 4, it says that there will be no tears. It says there will be no death. It says that there will be no mourning. It says there will be no crying, no pain. It will all be gone. It will all be banished, never to be seen again. Is that a great promise or what? To know that none of that will ever cross our minds again. It will never be something we have to deal with again. That's an amazing promise that I love. Because when Christ overthrows sin, it will reverse the effect of sin that we are so familiar with. In heaven, we will be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery. What does that include? Well, think of this. Consider the things that you find troublesome now. They could be, uh, they, 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 will, they will become a point of unimaginable delight. What, would, what could you imagine without limits? What could you build and not be frustrated or disappointed with and not smash your thumb with a hammer? What would it look like to, what would it look like for your body never to ache again or your plans never to fail? What if work was always enjoyable? It's an amazing thought, isn't it? When God renews the world, which was created for us, by the way, it will at length be renewed and be clad with another hue, much more pleasant and beautiful. You ever grieved for the hungry? You ever grieved for those who are hungry? And maybe that's actually you. Maybe it's something that you struggle with where you don't have enough food or you know somebody that's true of. 
Revelation chapter 4, chapter 7, verse 16 says, no one in heaven will ever hunger or thirst. You ever been afraid? You ever had fear that's gripped you and actually caused you to have anxiety or, or whatever it may, may lead to in your life? You ever felt that before? Well, in verse 8 of what we just read, it says there will be no more fear. You ever wanted the problems of the past to stop haunting you? You ever thought about your past and it continues to haunt you and bring back memories of things that you wish you could just forget? Isaiah 65 gives us a really clear picture of the troubles of the past being forgotten. I can't even imagine what it would look like to forget all the things of my past that I'm going, I just would love to be done with that. The day will come for those who are in Christ where that will be the truth. The second truth I want to give you this morning is that heaven is perfect friendship with God. Heaven is perfect friendship with God. There's a huge comfort in this, but since the relationship is currently broken by the sinful, fallen world we live in, our relationship, our friendship with God is often strained because we don't fully understand our purpose, and we try to pretend like we do, and we act like we can handle it. And we take control of our lives and we say, God, I've got this. But for Christians, the relationship with God that we have now will be fully realized in heaven. 1 John chapter 3, it says this. It says, dear friends, we are already God's children, but, we ha- but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. Be like him. It's a beautiful thing for us. And by the way, for each one of us, this is something that is completely unimaginable. Can't think of what that would actually look like, what that would actually be, and we don't have any context for it. Nobody has ever seen God and lived, but this verse in 1 John tells us that we will. We will see him in an unimaginable way that no one has ever done before. A number of years ago, I had a junior high student that was in my youth group, and she said it like this. She said, heaven is a place where God keeps his promises, and the heart of his promise is perfect friendship. So good. Because it's not just, we think of it, we think of our friendships around us. We're talking about that relationship with God, that connection to God. Let's try to unpack that for a second. Imagine the perfected version of the best friendship you've ever had. Very difficult to do. It doesn't exist. You think of that friendship, you go, it broke here, and I said this, and I wish I hadn't said that, and I wish that all these things that we go, wish we could fix. But there's a list of some qualities that we can expect. Trustworthy? You think about friendship, and you go, who is it that I, I, I would actually say this is something that's a quality in them that I expect, and it's trustworthy? Somebody that diffuses you. Somebody that spends time with you. Someone that's approachable. A low-maintenance friend. Can I get an amen to that? A low-maintenance friend. Somebody that is, is there. Somebody that loves you no matter what. Somebody that's fun to be around. You ever thought about God as being fun to be around? As I'm going to tell you that someday in, in eternity, we will know that friendship. I think we can expect that. But I also think that we can't even comprehend how great that friendship will be until eternity. My wife and I have been married for um, quite a number of years, almost 30 years. 
And uh, she's my best friend. I do everything with her. In fact, I moved across the country uh, with her and with our kids. But my kids laugh at me because I am actually very hard of hearing. If you know me, you know this. Uh, and I, I struggle with that. But I see something and I say something about it. And uh, what, I, what I don't realize is that five seconds before that, my wife has said the exact same thing. And my kids are laughing at me and they're going, Dad, Mom just said that. We know each other so well. That, and, and, and there's like this like-mindedness perspective that we have with each other, that perfect friendship with God. Where God is speaking into us and he's speaking over us and we're that relationship with him where it's very close and very, very personal. The third truth is this, is that heaven is a place of worship. It's a place of worship. And you'd probably be surprised if I came up here this morning and didn't say that. So there you go. That's for you. But let me paint a picture for you. And I'm going to read uh, some verses in Revelation so you can kind of get this small, small glimpse of what this looks like. Mind you, that worship is more than singing. But, it, but it's an expression of singing. Is this expression of singing is actually very powerful. And there are tons of examples of that throughout Scripture. And by the way, when we're singing here in this place... Can we look at that as practice for eternity? Practice of worshiping God in eternity when we worship God here? These verses aren't going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to what Scripture says. It says this, and it's in Revelation 4. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will exists everything that was created. It's worship. Chapter 5 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and, power and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb who is blessed, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Worship. And in chapter 7, it says, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, to the Lamb. And, to the, angels were and the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Guys, those words are written in a book right now. We read it in our Bible, but these are words that will escape our lips for eternity with God. And I'm telling you that with God in our presence, be able to look at God and say those things, how amazing is that going to be? I love what it feels like when I leave this place on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but when I leave this place on Sunday morning, just this sense of joy and anticipation of what God is going to do through me and through us in the coming week. If everlasting worship is hard to comprehend or just doesn't sound like something to look forward to, here's why. It's because our worship to God now usually comes with divided hearts and divided desires. We get tired, we get distracted, and this is why we design our services here the way we do. We do things in here to keep it moving, to keep it actually different and moving along, so we plan intentional transitions and different elements to keep us engaged in our time together. And so to be able to do this with undivided hearts and undivided minds without having to plan it out, what an amazing promise that is. That's pretty great. I am a poster child for ADD. 
I have a hard time staying focused on something uh, very long. And I, and I know that, that even, even means to be engaged for long periods of time without my mind wandering is something that's hard for me to do. And yet to be able to never do that again in eternity... The reason why it's hard to get our minds around this is because even Christians, your desires and love for God are someday, will someday be perfected. In heaven, our bodies will be incorruptible, 1 Corinthians tells us. We currently worship in a place and time where we might hurt each other, or we might misjudge each other, or just get it wrong in the way that we respond and we worship together. We come here with baggage of the week and difficulty of broken relationships and so many other things. But imagine a time when we will be fully able to actually love our neighbors as ourselves. Maybe now we find ourselves having wandering hearts, distant minds. Someday we will be forever and fully present and we will glorify him forever. The fourth point I want to give you this morning, fourth truth is this, is that heaven is full of joy. Heaven is a place that's full of joy. And I say joy, but what I'm really aiming at here is the creativity and the activity of, human, of humanity brings us happiness and even joy now, but will bring us ultimate joy and measure of joy when, we, when it comes to eternity in heaven with God. There's a type of document that some churches use for memorizing Scripture, memorizing the truth uh, of Scripture, and it's called catechism. And there's one called the Westminster Catechism, and it says it like this. It says, in heaven, believers will be filled with inconceivable joy, made perfectly holy and happy, both in soul and body. For me, I've often viewed this in such an abstract way, but I tell you that I believe that the best thoughts and activities that mark us here are actually things that will mark us in heaven and be perfected there as well. God made humans to be culture makers. And here's what I mean by that. In the very beginning, God put culture and creativity in us. He made us this way. It's evidenced as you look throughout humanity, you can see the different cultures and the different things that people come up with throughout our world. We build things and we make things and we paint things and we create things. In Genesis chapter 5, it says that God had not caused rain to fall on the earth yet because... There was no man there to work the ground. The creative component of working the ground had not been done by man yet. Later in Genesis chapter 4, it talks about, it gives us a list of the descendants of Cain. And it goes through and it talks about one descendant who was a father of those who made tents and livestock. And there was a brother, the father of those who were the, the ones who made the lyre and the pipe and the instrument. Another one was the one who made instruments of bronze and iron and so forth. There's a reason why these things are listed here. God gave each of them the creativity and the unique gifts and talents, kind of like the rest of humanity, right? There's some of you in this room who have some amazing talents for music. There's some of you in this room that have some amazing talent for art or cooking or building. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is that God has given you an amazing talent for, God gave this to you. And in response to this, should we expect that the creativity of a creative God to be less in the age to come? I say no. I say that it's going, to be, it's going to be bigger than we ever could imagine. It's going to be greater than we could ever imagine. It's going to taste better. It's going to look better. The colors are going to be brighter. It's going to be something we can't even get our minds around now. I think that the new heaven and the new earth will be the exclamation point of how God made you. 
But think even bigger than here and you. What about the rest of the world? I read a commentator by the name of uh, Abraham Kuyper, and he said this. He said, the unique contributions of each nation of life of the present earth will enrich the life of the new earth, and we will inherit the best products of culture and art which the earth has produced. Think of the places around the world that you've never been, you've only dreamed of going. You will spend eternity in a place that will actually give you the opportunity to see what God has given to the people. Why? Not so we point at the people and say, look what they did. No, we will look at our God and say, that's something our God did. That's the glory of God coming through in huge ways. We reflected on that in John 21. It wouldn't be possible for me to go through and list all the facets that we will experience in heaven. And how scripture describes the new heaven and the new earth. But what is clearly absent, and maybe what I've described here this morning so far, is I didn't talk about the things of heaven and the things of the new earth so much. Because although the Bible does describe it, it just isn't the point. You can read of the streets of gold and the jewels that'll be in the gates and the gates around the new Jerusalem. You can read all that stuff in the Bible. In fact, I would encourage you to go there and read Revelation 21 and Isaiah 65 and see the description of that. In fact, that's actually one of the next steps on your card is to do that, to meditate on it. But the point is the glory of God. So in response to these four truths about God, what God is going to do in the future, I want to tell you this. I want to ask you to do this to look forward to it. It's okay to look forward to it. It's okay to go, yes, I can't wait for that to be the case. I can't wait to be there. God wants us to look forward to it. And I think sometimes we're afraid because we see what Scripture says and it's tough for us to get our minds around it and all the allegory and the things that are are tough for us to understand. And we get lost in all that when, in fact, don't get lost in that. Focus on the glory of God. The description of heaven in Scripture are statements like the kingdom of heaven is like, you see that throughout the Bible. You see that in, in, in the Gospels. And it's because that's really the best that we can do to get our minds around. This is what you can see. But I can tell you that it is probably not going to be that. It's going to be so much better. So for four things I want to give you real quick here as I close out, things that you can do to look forward to eternity with God, looking forward to it. First of all, get to know God. Get to know him. I say that out loud here, and I go, there may be some of you in this room that that cannot say that you even know him. And maybe today is the day where you say yes to him, and then you have the opportunity to look forward to eternity with God as well. But for Christians, you can do this, practicing uh, doing God's will. The Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Practice seeking to know God better. Practice seeking to know him. You will spend eternity with God. And by the way, eternity is much longer, much, much longer. In fact, it's eternal (laughs) by definition. So redeem the time we have here. Be a student of God's word. Know God. Know what he says. Pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you, to show you in creation around you. Scripture is very clear that we can see God by virtue of creation around us. Practice using the gifts that God has given you here. There will be work of your hands on the new earth too perfected, never bringing you labor. We serve here in a church and throughout our lives on earth. That's something that we will do in heaven too. We will serve each other. We will worship our God together. I'd also say that the first step might be, like I said, is knowing Christ and actually saying yes to him for the first time today. 
Another way that you can look forward to eternity is to represent God's creation. Represent God's creation. And some of you are going, oh no, the guy that moved here from Boulder, Colorado, who drives an electric car is now going to show his true colors. But before you pull out those rotten tomatoes, I want to say this. I find it pretty interesting that those who are the least interested in the creator are often the most zealous for creation. My experience has also been that those who, the, who, are, who know the Creator are often the least zealous for the creation. There's a balance in this, isn't there? Seek to find it. Seek to steward it well. Christians should be the best stewards of the earth because it's a reflection of the glory of God who made it. It's a reflection of what God made. And know that we were created to have dominion over the earth, keeping in mind that, we've, that what we've already said, that the earth needs to be renewed. It's deteriorating because of sin to enter the world through Adam. Scripture speaks of creation reflecting the creator, Romans chapter 1. And the same passage says that many, that, that many worship the creation instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That last part's important. Because he will be forever praised. He will be. From the beginning, God told Adam and Eve to tend to the garden, to tend to the earth, to give it their attention, this earth. And after the fall, he also made it very clear that it was going to be much, much more difficult to do that. But the command was never rescinded. The command still exists. And the theologian by an old dead guy, his name is John Calvin, he wrote... This He said this, the maj- he talked about the majestic theater of creation. That's so good. The majestic theater of creation. Wherever you turn, is what, here's what he said. He said, wherever you turn your eyes, there is no portion of the world, however minute, that does not exhibit at least some spark of beauty and overwhelm us with the immense weight of glory. Christians will one day exist for eternity on the renewed and perfected earth. It does now and forever will reflect the glory of God. The next thing that we can do to look forward is to look forward to eternity is be patient in trials. If your understanding of suffering does not include a view of heaven, then we are willing, willfully omitting a piece of the greater view of heaven. Romans chapter 5, it says this, and I'm, I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's in the King James, uh, and I don't do a lot of King James. I, it's very poetic. It says this, it says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, actually, it's probably not the right verse, so I'm just going to read it to you. Go ahead and take that down. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Randy Alcorn said this, he said, it is not that temporary suffering is so small because it's not. It's that eternal glory is so huge. In full view, when we are suffering, it should at at some level remind us that God will one day wipe away these tears. He will remove the sting of those tears from our eyes. And we have a greater view of heaven. It offers a redemptive value and hope of the difficulties of today. And finally, one more way to look forward to heaven is to yearn for God, to yearn for God. I think that one of the most beautiful images of heaven is also the most simple and familiar to us. You ready? Heaven is home. Folks, this earth is not our home. (laughs) Thank God for that, right? 
Because we can look around and we can see the brokenness in the world around us, but heaven is home. As a pastor, I have sat next to people on their deathbed, and they say things, they use one simple phrase where people will sit there, lay there on their bed, and they will say, I want to go home. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. It's the longing of the heart of the follower of Jesus is to go home, to be with him. But every moment that he gives us here on this earth is here on purpose. But I want to paint you a picture of why we should yearn. For as we think of, as, as we think of heaven, and I'm going to do this by reflecting on some verses in Psalm 84. And I just want to, I'm going to put them on the screen. You can see them as I read them, but just let them sink in. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I believe that Satan has a vested interest in strengthening the misconception that heaven and so dissuading us from people that, from the gospel that heaven isn't what it really is. So it shouldn't surprise us well, he wants us to think of it as a dull and drab and boring place where nobody ever wants to go. He wants us to perpetuate the vision of sitting on clouds and playing harps. The never-ending church service where you're sitting on hard wooden pews, sit up straight, keep your feet out of the aisle mentality, jerking yourself from a sleep because you couldn't stay awake because you were so bored. That's the picture that Satan wants us to have of what heaven will be like. Folks, that's not how the Bible describes eternity for Christians. And so this morning, I want to inspire you with this. Romans chapter, Revelation chapter 21 in verse 3, it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. I keep that up on the screen there because I want you to pay attention to this. There's three times in there where he says this, he is with them. He is with them. He is with them. His home will be our home. His dwelling place will be with us. His presence will no longer be a matter of faith, but a matter of sight. We will see him face to face. It will be intimacy that Adam and Eve enjoyed as they walked in the Garden of Eden on a cool day. The difference will be that it will be permanent, it will be perfect, and it will be forever. That doesn't bring you joy. Check your pulse. Or maybe it doesn't bring you joy because you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe today's the day you do that. Looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth is being with God. And by the way, I actually think that God is looking forward to it as well. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we do this at the end of every service. We ask, Lord, what are you telling me today? What are you showing me today? Just ask him that question. 
we want to pray for you. We don't just talk about prayer here at Lighthouse, but we actually do it. And so what's going to happen is we're going to have prayer partners that are going to join, um, that are going to be in the corners of the room. There's going to be two up front and two in the back, and they're actually moving to that place now. And as we get into place, what I want you to do is I want you to think, maybe there's something that you need to be praying for. There's no shame in praying. There's no shame in asking for someone to pray for you. We just ask that you would stand up and you would actually go and meet them where they are and have them pray with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand together. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and join me in standing as we sing one more song. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would draw every single person here that needs prayer right now in this place. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.